Welcome back to part two of Ron John's Invested Investor podcast. In part one, we heard about his successful entrepreneurial career. Now we'll hear how he transitioned to angel investing and why he believes a helpful angel is a successful angel. Had you already started angel investing before you did your second exit? Yes. So what led you into that? So when I still had money from the first venture, when I was running so many, before I put all of it in, there's actually three companies I invested in. Uh, so this is about 10 years ago. Or more, probably. More than that. And uh, let's see. So one, I lost all of my money. One, I got 90% of my money back. And the third one, which is Cradle Point, they have a few hundred million dollars in revenue today. And so I think it'll be, that'll be a 10 What was your valuation when you went into that one? Oh, that was about uh, $4 million pre. Yes, so that's got to be worth <laughs> at least 400 you would hope, not more. Exactly, yes. yes. But, and that goes back into angel investing. A lot of my deals now are of that category. I've learned some things now. So the one I lost all my money was in Switzerland. There's a company in Switzerland. So one of my lessons is I want to invest in companies, at least in places I go to, regularly. Hmm. So obviously I live in Palo Alto and so the Californian companies. I like uh, Cambridge companies, British companies on the outside. Uh, so typically I won't do companies outside of Britain or the US and preferably in the US because it's a big place. It's usually uh, the Western side. And I run the MIT Angels Group, not in Boston, but in Silicon Valley. Hmm. And so I have deal flow from MIT Angels, I have deal flow from Cambridge Angels, which I'm a member of, as you know, Peter. Yeah. And then Thai Angels, which is, again, an entrepreneur organization. So TIE is the... Indus, Indus Entrepreneur. Yes. yes. Yeah. I think it has chapters all over the world now, yes, doesn't that's it? that's right. Originally, it was an Indian diaspora, but now it's cosmopolitan yeah. and anyone can be a member. And each one of those networks have very different characters. So when I talk to a company, I try and point them to the right group. And so I like mainly because some of the other companies I've done myself, uh, a little bit deeper science. Usually there's less competition. Often, though, the market is not as developed. But I prefer that than going into a crowded market. Some people are the opposite. The blue, have a blue and red ocean, yes. they call it, don't they? Yes. yes. You want to be in the blue ocean, not the red ocean. Right. Yes. And so sometimes people prefer maybe more crowded market because the market's actually there. Developed. You don't have to educate the yes. customers. No, the yeah. wider market. I've tried both. In my experience, though, I prefer not having competitors. And then you've got to decide, well, does anyone actually want this? Does anyone actually want this company's product? And the irony is, I think, though, the deep science companies are often at lower valuation. You can get them at lower valuations than the crowded market. Yeah, but that's because there's huge technical risk. There's almost certainly market risk because, you know, it's a blue ocean and nobody's buying the stuff yet. And therefore, it takes a long time. And long time takes a lot of capital. Maybe. Maybe oh, I'll maybe. debate that. You capital, know, so not first so one took $500, remember, my first company. <laughs> <laughs> you had customer income almost immediately. That was the difference. Well, that's why I like companies that have a customer almost immediately. Yeah, okay. And I'm always telling you, a lot of entrepreneurs, they think they can't ask for a project. They think they've not built their project, not built their prototype. They can't ask for money. Basically. They can't ask for money. I say yeah. the opposite. Say, look, you go to your potential customer and say, you want first look, you want a prototype built for you, for your custom need. Well, I've got opportunity costs. I need to do it for you or I can do it for your competitor. Mm. or another competitor, you know, depending on how big you 
Who am I going to work with? And this is your chance. I like to have my cake and eat it. And if no one buys it, that's a signal. Mm. Maybe you have to double click and say, maybe there isn't a market there. Mm. If you can't persuade somebody to at least write a check for a few tens of thousands. It doesn't have to be millions, just a few tens of thousands. I like it if there's a signal of somebody's written something somewhere and put some skin in the game on the customer side. And then the second point is the actual team members. Do they actually have the credibility and the experience? And I like PhDs. Often PhDs, once they've graduated a, a PhD, they are the world's expert on that topic at that time. They may not be five years from that then, but at that, that time, because by definition, a PhD is a creation of new knowledge mm. to the world. And if you look at anecdotes, I think... If it's a curated set of PhDs in the right field, you know, even if you don't have revenue, it's $10 million a person versus $1 million a person if they're just ordinary. That's a Silicon Valley metric, in my view, <laughs> <laughs> not a British metric. <laughs> well, you've got to go where the buyers are. There are British buyers, but one thing about Silicon Valley that I like is you have a lot of buyers within a 20-minute drive. And one of my critiques, by the way, of British companies is that they don't buy enough companies. These, some of these companies get to large market capitalizations and they're a bit conservative and they don't buy companies around them. And that devalues the ecosystem in Britain. Like, you know, if you take Arm and Intel, Intel buys a company every month, sometimes every week. The Arm... Has bought, I don't know, was hardly, it one or two a year or something? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. they're a $30 yeah. billion dollar yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. And they could get to BlackBerry disease. I mean, they're bought by SoftBank, of course, now. Yeah, and SoftBank will have a different view of that, I'm sure. Yeah, I think they're quite aggressive now. They've, got, they've switched. So let's just go back and talk about your angel investing career. So you, you'd always done a little bit. You dabbled a tiny yes. bit. Obviously, one worked really well. You've been very lucky with that one. You'd sold Solmania. You'd got out of RIM in about 2012, was it then, are we talking about? Yes, 2011? right. Okay. So then did you make a decision with your wife, with Sally-Anne, who I know, and say, I'm going to blow a load of money. No, not blow, hopefully, all of it, but we're going to invest a certain chunk of money. Right. You went into that in quite a big way, didn't you? Yeah. So wealth is often uh, sort of lost within two generations, right? And so uh, the way to look at it is you have an asset allocation. So some yeah. of it's low risk, some of it's medium risk. And the other part, though, is a high-risk componentry, high-risk allocation, but with a knowledgeable basis. So the allocation went through. And I think I, as you say, look for companies that I like to do, that I like the idea, and uh, go in quite early, very early. I know investors go in at different stages, but I usually go in very well, I early. I do as well. I go in very, very early. Very early. I like to take lots of risk. Yes. And if you can get a good valuation, mm. often though when you get a good valuation, you end up working with the company much. Yes, to help much because exactly, it's, yeah. yeah. And so I've got about 35 investments mm. now. How many have disappeared after that 35? Uh, two. Two have failed. Yeah, two have failed. And how many successes have you had? Uh, we've had like one exit. Vocal IQ was one. Oh, no, that's right. maybe oh, two that's exits. Two exits, exactly. Yeah, Vocal IQ in television was another. The one, the recent one, Recent yes. one, yeah. which was a face recognition video. Uh, and so this is over what period? Over seven, six, three, seven years? Three years, three years. Oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah, you yeah, really didn't start. Years. Yeah, very, pretty slowly, and uh, putting money to work. And then uh, first couple of years, not very much, a little bit. And... Uh, 
Yeah, probably more like 2014, 15, that kind of race. So probably... Yeah, and we've got a few like Blue Optics and Cambridge Mask yes. and Trippers, and we've got a few in yes, common. that's okay. right, yes. But you do a bit more than that. You'd also sort of co-found, don't you? Yes, So yes. pay plan, etc. Can you talk through this? Because this is a different model that some angels love and some angels hate. So t- tell me your rationale. It goes, it's a more extreme version of going early, so early. It doesn't exist yet. And that was one of the theories I had, is sort of almost have a studio where you... Instead of um, you know, putting uh, 50K into a company, use the same 50K to develop a prototype. Mm. And then I started uh, maybe two or three companies in that category now. The studio thing didn't work out where you have space, but it ended up being kind of virtually. Mm. And we said, okay, there's a need here. And it's often projects I need or products I need. So one is pay plan, which says basically, okay, a lot of my portfolio companies have cash flow needs. They have customers, but the customers don't pay on the timescale they need to spend the money, right? So typically I have a customer that will pay 60 days and uh, they need to pay their employees right now. Mm. So I started PayPlan specifically to buy the invoices. Which is factoring, which has been around for decades, hasn't exactly. it? So what, what was different? For small companies, yeah. for, I found, and certainly for my own companies, I had customers like AT&T, and I couldn't find factoring companies. That because you were too it. small and you were too risky, basically. Too small. They didn't understand what we were doing. Yeah. And um, as a result, you have to put personal guarantee. We're going to put personal guarantee. What's the point, right? You can't pay the salaries to your staff at the end of the month with a personal guarantee. You can do yes, yes, with some money that's coming, coming that's in. associated with the personal yes, guarantee. Yes, yes, yes. But you're putting yourself at risk. And so we said, well, okay, you know, if Oracle owes you money, this little company, that's probably not bad paper. It's not risk-free because Oracle say to the little company, oh, your stuff stopped working and mm. so we're not going to pay you. But it's a reasonable model to generate an income. And so that ended up being a little kind of a digital factoring company all by itself with its own customers and its own areas. And now it's what we in America we call a double whammy. So it works as a standalone by itself, but then it supplies all my portfolio companies too <laughs> yeah. as a partner and other people's portfolio companies, yeah, as so, you know, right? Yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> and surprisingly enough, it's something that entrepreneurs don't know. A lot of companies get into this sticky position where they've got the customer, they try and get equity, raise equity when they actually don't need to. No, no. Right, they can just get the Working debt. capital they need yeah. and debt's the best way of doing exactly, it. And you yeah. provide the debt. Yes. Yeah. You started angel investing a long time ago, only did three, no cash, turn that cash into something very big, go back to engine investing. So you've been doing about three or four years. You've done about 10 a year, which is yeah. pretty rapid. Tell me about how involved you get with your angel investor, not the co-founded companies you mentioned a moment ago. You sit on the boards, you meet the entrepreneurs regularly, etc. Right, so different companies at different stages. So one I'm actually chairman of. In America, the chairman concept is not quite the same as here in Britain. It's not as common, but it's a signal to the company that you're a bit more involved uh, both to the investors and the company. A lot of it is actually guiding the CEO not to panic. Mm. And similarly, when he's optimistic, also yeah. Tony Davis, things can go bad very quickly. In technology, anything can happen. You could lose a big customer and rather put in place the mechanisms for diversification, mm. continuing to the development of intellectual property, and the uh, public relations exercise. So when you, if you do need to raise more money, then you're sort of prepared and set up. And most importantly, I like to have my cake and eat it, where it's a self-sustainable business. How can you get to cash flow break even and still have deep IP, deep technology, mm. and still have growth? Mm. I think a lot of investors 
coach their companies. Don't worry about the revenues or, or the, don't worry about the profits. Just grow. If you're losing money, that's fine. That's great. A lot of those investors didn't go through the dot-com bust like I did, yeah, yeah. or the 2008. They've forgotten about it. Or People too young, maybe. Or, or they might be too young. Or they might have come out of a non-entrepreneurial industry where, you know, banking or something where they didn't notice it quite the same way. Exactly. And so you're trying to get that lesson. So no matter what, because remember that right at the beginning, I said number one exercise because you'll often not get the timing quite right. But you will have to believe that people will want your technology and product. So your number one thing, you have to exist. So when the market realizes they want you, you are there to scoop up. Mm. And you have to exist and be a credible player at that thing. So if you do not exist, then your investment goes down. And existing means having cash, and cash comes mostly from customers or equity. And if the equity is not there, it has to come from customers. Correct. Otherwise, you don't exist. Yes. And you have to chart your own way. You have to think for yourself. I think the board, and this is why sometimes, certainly my role in the board is sort of pushing that story. Often other board members have other value items to bring. But it's quite common. People say, don't worry about this. Just add people, add this. And I say, well, you know, is that person paying for himself? Or when is he going to pay for himself? There was mm. a salesperson who clearly there's a training period mm. or a climatization period, but at some point. And then when the going gets tough, often CEOs are late in cutting costs. And it's not fun. It's definitely not fun. But uh, as a board member, you have to guide the CEO. You have to do what you have to do. Cut. You know, this is very British what you're saying. I totally agree. I haven't been through lots of entrepreneurial journeys. But I bet you get a real pushback with this I do. in the West Coast. But I think a lot of it, them haven't gone through the um, downturns. Or on the investor side, they diversified already. They don't think, and they just let them go. And just yeah. let them go. And they're okay with that. Yeah. So maybe there's kind of a, a moral support thing with the people themselves. Or maybe it's an angel. We maybe have less diversification. And also it's our own money. Yeah, yeah. Unlike a venture capitalist, often it's not their own money. They profit share, but not loss share, basically. Yes. Apart from loss of brand and the ability to raise another fund. Yeah, so they'll say, well, I've lost my reputation. And I said, well, I've lost my money. My money's worth more than your yes. reputation. I can buy a house with my money. <laughs> yes, reputation, exactly. So, and then you sort of build your track record, of course. I think maybe in early days, you, maybe venture capital firms who are quite long-standing, it harms them less if they lose one or two mm. uh, because they've got a 20, 30 year old track record. Often, you know, certainly angel investors, I've only been doing it a few years, but I think a lot of angel investors. Uh, so you've got a personal reputation. Now, in angel investing, unlike in venture capital, it's a little bit more private. So often, if you make a mistake, no one actually knows. I'm not, as you might have looked at my website. Yes. All my failures are on there. I believe it shouldn't be. but uh, I agree with you. I agree with you, Peter, completely. And uh, which is why I've, I freely admit I lost two, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you know, often you want other collaborators to co-invest with you. And if you are honest with them, then people understand the risks. Um, but you, say, you know, try and get across, okay, here's what I think. Here's why I'm investing. And here's why I think you should at least look at it. And you know, first thing I tell people, don't follow me, make your own decision. <laughs> because you're trying to sort of absolve yourself, but you can't actually do that. But no, no, just by saying, well, I'm investing in this, you might want to look in, into it. You're already doing that. And also, yeah. if you're deal leading and then you're going to sit on the board, there is a level of moral responsibility there. And certainly in the UK and probably in America, there'll no legal responsibility, but certainly moral responsibility. Exactly. And that's actually, again, it goes back to reputation. 
And actually, reputation is worth more than the money mm. at this stage. The other thing is angel investments, I assume, is a 10-year investment. You know, I've had a few exits now, and it's two or three years. Yeah, Vocal IQ was an Apple bought within... Three years, and, um, and television was like two and a half years. But you went in late, and television had been around for many oh, years, yes, hadn't it? Oh, yes, 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 yes. But as an investment, I assume it's a 10-year cycle. And maybe it's because my own company took 10 years, but at least my second one. No, if you look at the big exits, like we just had Great Shot here in Cambridge that went to Oracle for quite a large amount of money, and that was about a 14-year, 15-year. You take the big exits, the multi-hundred million, certainly in the UK, not in America so much, do take 12, 13, yes. 14 years. Well, one of our investors was with the Porter family who created E-Trade, and the story they gave us, it took them 14 years to get E-Trade public. And I think... Um, particularly young entrepreneurs, they think, uh, oh, it's just a few years and uh, if it doesn't work out, I'll just sell it. And I try to tell them, well, you, you do need someone else to want to buy you. <laughs> you can't unilaterally sell it. <laughs> you can definitely close it down for zero value, right. but not find somebody to write the check for you. Yeah, so, which is why it goes back to, you know, can you be a self-sustaining business in its own right, regardless that you can time it so it works out for you. Mm. So I assume 10 years. And the thing is, if you start investing late in life, you're really not investing for yourself. You're investing for your kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure if you had this conversation with other angel investors. There's a time where it's right time to put money to work rapidly. And then there's a time for harvesting. Right. And if you wait too late, I think the conviction is a little bit um, different. I think that there's a stage in life where it's a peak. Mm. So you need a 50s, 60s is probably an optimum. Oh, really? Period. Or if you've got the capital to do it in your 40s. I mean, if people have got the time and the effort, you know, you need the time to be able to use the money smartly and the system with the investor, investor, etc. But people in the 40s, we've got plenty of Cambridge Angels yes. between 40 and 50. Yes. Now, do you think there's a too early? There's too early. So I think personally in the 20s is far too young. Yes. 30s, even that's yes. a, bit, a bit early. Unfortunately, it is usually the 50s and 60s where people have got enough capital, enough time, kids off your hands, <laughs> and you can actually spend the time doing it. And in the 50s also, it's more difficult to get employed in a regular job. Oh, yes, exactly. Well, I'm totally unemployable <laughs> like you, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. So you end up creating your own job in a way. Yes. Where actually age is actually an advantage. So let's just talk about some tips. So let's talk a few tips for angels and a few tips for entrepreneurs. Okay. Angels, I think the tips are team, people, and I like academically strong people. Sometimes people say, uh, well, you know, I dropped out of my PhD. You know, I, I view that as a negative. I know some investors say, no, I like investing in those people who are so impatient they want to start mm. a company. Companies harder than a PhD. So, mm. and can you finish it? Mm. So, academically strong, unique by, by definition, customer. Even if it's just $10,000, any customer anywhere is a criteria. And then is it actually unique? Is something you've got, and then you've got to your own, use your own mind. Do not follow. Never follow. You have to use your own mind to decide for yourself. And because following, you don't know the dynamics of the lead investors. You know, it might be one of that's, that's a tip for an angel, of course. Yes, yeah, yeah, the yeah. angel. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Make your own mind up, exactly. Yeah. Don't just blindly follow somebody else. Often, I'm the only investor. And sometimes I'm the only person not investing. And I'm perfectly comfortable with that. And actually, venture capitalists are like that too. You know when you've met a company 
and they've got so-and-so venture capital firm investing, and maybe they've got one or two. You know they've met 40 other firms, and mm. 38 of them have turned them down. Mm. And those two firms are comfortable despite mm. that. And as an angel investor, you have to have almost have the, the same, same dynamic. Thing, yeah, exactly. 38 people have turned these guys down, but I like them. Or vice versa, 38 people are rushing to invest in it, but I don't like it. And you it. must never regret. My son, Alan, told me the term FOMO, fear of missing out. And so I don't want to miss out. I don't have this fear of missing out. And you must never have regret. I missed out on SwiftKey, for instance, which sold to Microsoft for a quarter of a billion. I don't regret it. There's loads of deals. And I think this concept of can you get in a deal? I think there are lots of good deals you can get into. So if for whatever reason you've missed out, yes. No regrets. You know, if you're in the right networks, and there's plenty of types of networks to get your flow in this day and age. So talking about entrepreneurs, how does an entrepreneur find you? What's have, the best way to make contact? I have three or four meetings a week without even trying. Right? They just find me. LinkedIn, that's the, one of the best resources out there. If I've got time in my schedule, I'm a big believer in serendipity that maybe goes on both sides, entrepreneur and on the investor angel side. If they want to meet me, I'll meet with them. And sometimes it's something you may not think that a good fit, but something might pop out. Pop but they out come to you. They come to your house. They come to your office. Yeah, I come to a coffee shop. And uh, rarely I go to them in the beginning, but sometimes mm. I will. The entrepreneurs, though, they're so charming, as you know. Now, before you know it, they've got money out of your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and so you've got to put your discipline on top. Mm. And uh, what I like to do is point them to the right angel group, not because I don't want to invest in them, but I want to hear the questions from other smart mm. people mm. to decide. The entrepreneurs, I think, have to then, um, you have to get your prototype up and running. And somehow they need to talk to lots of people, even in my own company, you talk to lots of people, is this something worth doing? Mm. Because they have to realize they may be at it for 10 years. Mm. So it better be something that you're interested in and that you're going to be passionate about and not get bored with. And typically, I think I like the entrepreneurs to be a pair of people, three at the most. I don't like singles because it's sort of point of failure, single point of failure. If it's five, then often each one of them may not have enough stake. Mm. And a pair, most three founders. I totally agree, yeah. So, and who are they? And have they worked with each other for a long time? And I think second-time founders I quite like. Often the second-time founders may put some more skin in the game themselves. Mm. And they've made loads of mistakes before. So yes. even if they've failed, they've still learned <laughs> so much. So let's just, before we finish, can we just talk about this wonderful thing you've been doing for the last couple of years called the Stanford Distinguished Fellow Programme, is it? It's very pompous, yes. It's a Distinguished Careers Institute Fellow. Very pompous, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and just give us a little flavour of the wonderful things you've been doing the last couple of years. Right. So I was a postdoc at Stanford 30 years ago. And then last couple of years, this programme at Stanford started based on the assumption that because we're living longer, the universities should be educating people at a later stage. They're great at educating 18-year-olds for bachelor's degrees, 22-year-olds for master's, MBAs at 27, PhDs at 28 or whatever. But when you're in your 50s, when you've finished a career or sort of done a big chunk of a career, you've still got 30 years left. And unlike maybe our parents' generation who were thinking of saying, well, okay, let's settle down and retire a bit. I think a lot of people don't want to retire. They want to do things and they want to keep their brain alive. And there is a school of thought that actually 
retire and actually reduce lifespan, not increase mm. it. And so the program is come back to university and do anything you want and use the entire resources, attend any class, any subject, and work with a cohort. And there's probably like 30 people, uh, usually very interesting people. And we're spread across the university in doing anything you want. So you don't have to do homework nor exams if you no, don't want to. Correct. You don't have to do homework. And so you can take more risks. So I took a lot of genomics classes, biology classes, anatomy, you know, working with cadavers, and neurocomputational imaging, learning how to use the MRI machine. You know, these are things you can't do as an evening class. And you can go really deep on a subject. And I think more universities should do that. More universities in the UK should look at that because A, it's a market, and B, there's so many people who want, it gets your brain alive. And for me, as an entrepreneur and an angel investor, it gives me the education to analyze other companies. Also, deal flow, all the kids, in Stanford in particular, yeah, yeah. there's no shortage of companies coming out of Stanford. Mm. This is ideas just lying on the floor, literally mm. lying on the floor, just waiting to be picked up. And universities are good places to go to if you want to be an entrepreneur or an investor, because you have experts on every topic within like 100 yards from wherever you're standing. And you know, it can be any university. Don't have to be pompous about it. You mm. know, it could be any university. By definition, they have experts on every topic. Mm. Isn't that great? Yeah. So I think being connected to the university systems one way or the other is key. That's excellent. I would really love to. You've done it two years in a row. You start a lecture at some extent. I'd really love to do that. Possibly, you know, if it gets over to the UK, particularly to Cambridge, where I'm living here. So this actually leads me on to my final question, which you've almost answered anyway. When you get to my age, and I know we've both got a bit of grey hair, but you've got <laughs> much less than I have, what are you going to be doing? And people come up with all kinds of interesting answers. Now, in your case, you're not going to change at my age, and you're probably not going to change in another 10 years on or even another 20 years on. Would that be fair to say? That would be fair. I mean, I assume no one's going to employ me, number one. So in a way, you've got to create your own occupation. Yeah. And so that occupation is working with companies, helping companies, or maybe one of the companies you start to get more involved with and you concentrate on that one. And I think it's something that people, as they get old, they can actually do. Unfortunately, it's people who often haven't built enough assets to do that. So that's something... Yeah, we are talking from a fortune position here. Yes. I mean, it must be clear that both of us, you more so than me, both of us are in a position where we don't really need to work and we can enjoy what we do. But what we are doing is giving back a huge amount, both of us, and all invested investors are, to entrepreneurs. Yes, and I think people who haven't got those assets, they can still play, but it's probably a little bit more on a different context. You know, we can be advisors to companies... Often, by definition, people have built up some expertise in something. So you can still play in that area. Excellent, Ron John. This has been really, really good. I've learned so much from you. We've become friends over the years. <laughs> and the whole audience will also have learned from that. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been an honour to be here. Thanks for listening to another Invested Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investedinvestor.com, or via a number of podcast platforms online. Remember, you can order our book online and be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting and insightful content from The Invested Investor. <laughs>